What is up, everyone? This is Rafael Garcia here with Shawan Humes for episode 234 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. We ran into some technical difficulties last week that kept us off of the air, but we're back this week. Hopefully, everything will be fine and will work out. Uh, so we have we have quite a bit to talk about. We missed last week, so if you want to pick up on some of those topics, definitely hit UFC 272 this week. Talk a little bit about Cain Velasquez, Kayla Harrison, and Islam Makashev as well, too. But before we do that, Shawan, why do tell everybody hello and how you been? Uh, busy as usual. Can't complain. Uh, just been uh, going. Just staying busy, man. That's the main thing. Just if you stay busy, then you kind of avoid getting any rush. You avoid having any interruptions. You just have to stay busy and be productive. So that's what I'm trying to focus on. I can definitely feel that, man. I can feel that all day. So um, before we start, as always, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this show. You can always check us out on MMARatings.net and .com in both of those two places. And you can hit us up across all of our social media platforms at MMARatings.net and check us out on all podcasting networks, including Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Spotify. YouTube, you can check us out at MMA Ratings and myself and Shawan, you can hit us up on Instagram and Twitter. I am at rgarcia underscore sports, while Shawan is at Black Jordan Green. So uh, feel free to give us a follow, a like, share, and subscribe there. And uh, as always, I thank you for taking the time to check out this show. We're going on a second. Cat's trying to push. We're going to start off with talking about UFC 272, which was this past Saturday. Where a fight went just as as much as everyone thought it would go, with Kobe Covington getting a easy not easy he's getting a unanimous decision victory over Jorge Masvidal in a five round fight there. Uh, Shawn, what did you think about this fight just from a technical standpoint before we go into what's next and and how do we see these two guys going in the, in the future? I think that just ultimately it came down to uh, it wasn't even a technical thing it was. Is basically the same thing every Kobe Covington fight comes down to. It's a pacing thing. Kobe's gotten better striking offensively, slightly defensively. His wrestling is what his wrestling has always been. But it's not so much that he just dominates you with his his pinpoint striking and his creative, dynamic, layered, you know, jabs and punch kick combinations and body head combinations. It's volume. He throws good technique, but it's it's not really we're not talking Israel Adesanya. We're not talking somebody with GSP's jab. We're not talking somebody with um, Jose Aldo's leg kicks or Anderson Silva's counterpunching. We're we're not talking about something like that. We're talking about a guy with good basic fundamentals that he's tightened up and refined a little bit, but ultimately what determines his fights is two things. One, he exploits the bad habit of all mixed martial artists. They stand in front of you or they back straight up. They back up in straight lines. Two, he exploits this by pushing a pace and throwing volume. All his wins, if you take his volume away, you cut his volume in half, he's not the same fighter. Those takedowns aren't there. The the dominance he has on the feet isn't there. Um, some of his defensive holes are even more exploitable because now he doesn't have the volume to keep guys shelling up or backing up. They'll fire off more. So ultimately, he just outworks Jorge Masvidal. Um, Masvidal actually, to me, is a better all-around skill fighter especially when you consider Masvidal doesn't fight whole rounds. He basically fights in spots. And especially when you consider it, Masvidal's age, considering all the fights he's had, he's nowhere near his peak as far as his explosiveness, his athleticism, his recovery, or his conditioning. What allowed Colby to win that fight is he kept throwing, he kept throwing, he kept shooting, he kept shooting. Even on the ground, he's moving around. He's not just 
settling and, and trying to, to control you. He's constantly moving around, doing work, landing shots, trying to improve his position. He just had a work mess with all. Early on in the fight, Covington wasn't landing quite as clean. Um, Masvidal had a few moments where he was landing counters, but ultimately, as Masvidal tired and he couldn't land something big, Kobe just started. Kobe's volume started chipping away at him. And before Masvidal would try to move in and out, try to circle, try to be a little slick, but as he got tired, it just ended up with him standing right in front of Kobe and covering up or trying to slip and get away from shots, which he did get away from a lot of shots. Kobe missed a lot of shots. It didn't land clean on a lot of shots. But Kobe throws so much that if he missed seven or eight, he still threw another 23 that round. They'd all hit. So where most guys, they throw three or four and they miss, and they'll kind of reset. Kobe just keeps piling it on, piling it on, piling it on at multiple levels. So essentially, he just outworked him. And that's pretty much how everybody thought the fight would go. I think George Jorge is the more skilled fighter. I think he's got the better overall IQ. But the fact of the matter is, he can't. he's never been able to fight at pace. One of the things that's cost him in multiple fights against opponents of varying skill levels is he fights in spots and guys just beat him by just outworking him unless he lands something big. And that's what happened. He never landed. He only landed something big a couple of times. And when he did, Kobe was able to, he was at the point he landed him, he was too tired to capitalize. And Kobe was able to reset and reassert himself and then just ride the rest of the fight out. It's pretty much, it was either feast or famine. He was going to land a big shot and win. Or he was going to get slowly out-wrestled, out-hustled, and ground down. And just as a highlight, I, I like Jorge Masvidal, and I'm not bashing him. But the fact of the matter is, in his fight against Darren Till, that was a dynamic early early fight knockout. His fight against Ben Askren, that was a big jumping knee knockout. When fights have gone rounds, he tends to routinely get outworked and out-hustled. He'll be competitive for a round, round and a half, and then the work rate and his unwillingness to let his hands go, maybe it's a matter of cardio, ends up costing him. And he's a good enough defensive guy and good enough counter guy where you can't open all the way up on him because you'll set yourself up to be taken down, blasted, or maybe submitted. But ultimately, if you can be defensively responsible and just keep on picking away at him, he's not going to do enough work to be competitive, and he's not going to do enough work to turn the fight. People thought he had turned the corner. All he did was end fights early. He had, he had big moments of offense. Till was holding his own. Landed big offense, put him away. Ben Askerty just came out and blew his doors off. But he wasn't really outworking people, and he really hadn't shown an adjustment, except he started a little quicker, and he was a little more willing to throw his hands. But ultimately, the way he lost is the way he always loses. Being outworked, and the way Kobe won is the way Kobe always wins. Throwing a bunch of volume. We didn't learn anything new about anybody else, and I can't say I, can't say I consider Kobe any, any higher than I did before because he didn't show me anything different than he didn't show before. So you said something about uh, Masvidal that I think I've heard a couple of voices mention, but I don't hear a lot of people talking about it enough, uh, is that he is more over the hill than maybe we thought. And that shit really surprised anybody. I mean, he's 37 years old. Um, he's at a point where he, almost, I think he almost has 50 fights. So he's taken a wealth of, of damage over the years. Do you think that he, it is okay to have that conversation that, Kobe Covington, not Kobe Covington, excuse me, Jorge Masvidal is um, well beyond his years, and he's on the downward path of of his career. Yeah, I think it, you have to be. I mean, he was fighting. He's he's been fighting through what a couple of different generations of mixed martial arts. If we're being honest, he's fought in almost every single promotion. <laughs> every major promotion that's existed, he's almost fought in. And if you look at his resume, 
maybe these guys aren't wouldn't be considered elite now, but the guys he was facing were pretty fairly tough guys. He was facing he's pretty much faced tough top guys for the majority of his career. Even though he's been a journeyman, that's why because he's lost to the guys who were upper caliber, but he still fought them. You look across his list, it's a it's a who's who. If you look at some of even his wins or his losses recently, it's still guys who are considered top in the division. He's not just losing to anybody. But the fact of the matter is, at 37, given how many training camps he's had, how many fights he's had, the nature of the fights he's had, um, it's perfectly within reason to think that he probably hit his peak a while ago, and he just got like one last gasp on the home stretch. Because if you think about it, this is like his third or fourth act in his career. He, the early stages, the middle when he started getting to what was it, Elite XC or Strike Force or whatever, and then he get the third act was the beginning of the UFC when he first got in there, and then he took what a year and a half off, and then he came back, and that was the fourth act where he had these huge big knockouts. But after that, he really couldn't follow those up with any other big wins against the elite guys, not against Wonder Boy. I think he lost to Damian Maya too by decision, if I want if I recall correctly. And then the losses to um, Usman. He's been he's been noticeably lower volume and he's been less and less effective as he's gone you see him go forward he decision he lost a decision to Usman everybody said it was the weight late cut it was tough for him next fight he gets knocked out you know he got outworked by Wonder Boy he was the last guy to make Wonder Boy look like he was an elite guy and then he goes against Kobe Covington and except for like a few moments he never really had anything for him offensively yeah he was able to survive yeah he was able to hang in there but at no point was the fight ever really in jeopardy. And for a guy who's not a great athlete, who is not a big puncher, you have very little room for margin. A lot of his fighting style is based off of timing, inaccuracy. And as you get older, the power is the last thing to go. But your durability, your conditioning is one of the first two things. And your timing and your accuracy is one of the first two things to leave as well. So he, he's clearly on the back nine physically. He's still got the skills, he's still got the smarts, but he was already a guy who couldn't fight at pace. And at age 37, if you're expecting him to fight at pace, that, that's beyond nuts. So let's talk about what is next for both of these two gentlemen here. So you have Covington picking up a victory, and um, he has not defeated anyone ranked in the top 15 other than um, Jorge uh, Masvidal. That was his first victory in the top 15. Do you see a situation where he should be considered the number one contender for Kamaru Usman's title? Colby? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, in two losses to Usman, in between that, he had a win over Tyron Woodley, and no offense, at that point, that didn't mean that much. And he has a win over um, Jorge Masvidal. Jorge Masvidal's like on a, what, a three-fight losing streak? This is his fourth loss, fourth or fifth? So he beat a bunch of guys on losing streak. He beat Tyron when he had like three or four losses, and he beat Masvidal when he had three or four losses and looked increasingly worse than each one of them. To be quite honest, I don't know that Kobe's resume at welterweight is particularly impressive. I think he beat Robbie Lawler coming off a couple of losses as well. He, he really hasn't beaten any guys who were on their way up who are coming off of big wins at all, to be honest. He's somehow navigated guys. when He navigated Wonderboy on his win streak. He hasn't run into Kaz, uh, Kazmich he hasn't He hasn't run into anybody. When Luka was on his win streak, he hasn't run into anybody who's on a win streak. Most of his wins recently have been guys coming off of losses or trying to get back in the win column. 
So while he proved he's better than Masvidal, Masvidal is what a lower 15 top fighter. That's not saying a lot. The other one with Woodley is not saying much. And the two fights with Usman, it showed that he's close and he can compete with Usman. But the fights ended for the same reason. He couldn't he couldn't handle Usman's power, and he lacked the defensive awareness to stay away from Usman's shots and got broken down late and got dropped multiple times. Same thing that happened in the first fight. So, yeah, he, he, he was able to compete with Usman, and he had a close fight with Usman, but he still didn't win. He was no closer to winning than he did the first fight. In fact, the second fight looked, you know, pretty close to the first fight. Ultimately, would determine the first fight is would determine the second fight. I personally think you might be able to sell him as a number one contender because he has interest, because he had a high-profile fight with Jorge Masvidal. But the way he beat him, that that can't excite anybody. So I don't think he skips ahead of a Leon Edwards. I would like to see him beat somebody who's a you know closer to the top ten to see if he really is what we say he is. Because so far, all we know is he matches up very well with Kamara Uzma. That's what I know for sure. But I saw him struggle against RDA. You know, and I've seen Usman already beat him twice. Shouldn't he have to beat someone on a win streak or somebody who's close to a title shot before he gets one? I mean, he's not that much of a seller selling point as a fighter. So I can't see you giving him the Conor McGregor or even the Uriah Faber treatment. He, I think he, he needs to beat a legitimate top guy before we start putting him in for a third a third bout. He got a rematch beating up Tyron Woodley. Was that really worth a rematch? I would like to see him face the winner of Bilal Muhammad versus um, Vicente Luque. They fight on April 6th, 16th. Um, and I think that that would be a good next fight. I'm giving him a little bit of time off. Not, not too much, but let those two guys fight. And if um, we see something different there out of him, and or if Luque or Muhammad gets the victory, then maybe they should be next. I mean, you still have Leon Edwards sitting out there as well, too. Um, according to Dana White, the winner of Gilbert Burns versus Hamzat Chameoff is next. I mean, Burns already fought for the title and lost, not finished. Um, Chameoff is the guy that everyone's kind of put, itching their um, horse to right now. But, um, yeah, let's see what happens here. But I don't think that Covington should be the next guy in line. I think we have to look at Luke Gay, Muhammad, Edwards, of course, Chameoff as, as well. Those four men should definitely be ahead of him. I have a concern for him just in that. In his last, what is it, one, two, four fights, if I recall correctly, he's been dropped like almost four or five times. I know he didn't get really touched in the Woodley fight, but it has to be concerning for a guy who relies exclusively on volume and pressure because it's the same thing I said about Max Holloway. Except Max Holloway, I think, is a little bit more layered as a striker. If Colby loses a step cardio-wise and he doesn't have that volume and that pace, I don't think he's elite. And if he gets to the point where his chin is so shaky – to where he's constantly getting dropped or he can't really, when he gets hit, he can't ramp up his pressure because that's what he does. He ramps up his volume. He maintains a high pace and then he goes to another gear. Against the elite guys, if he's unable to go to that gear because he's either lost a step cardio-wise or his chin is failing him, he won't be elite. The only thing that has allowed him to stay in these fights with elite guys is because he throws such an insanely high pace and he forces all these scrambles and and he's constantly taking the takedowns and pushing guys back. That's what allowed him to stay in the fight with Usman because he couldn't really wrestle him. He couldn't match him in physicality. He couldn't match him in power. If he loses 15%, he loses a quarter of that volume or that pace, he's no longer elite. He's not a big hitter. He His chin, I don't think, is is what it used to be, and I don't think it was ever great. I think he just handcuffs guys with all that volume, so when guys throw back, it's always loaded up 
or he knows they're going to reset and then attack because they won't punch with him. They can't punch with him or they're afraid of that takedown. But once he gets to the point where he really has to be concerned about what somebody's thrown back at him and he, and he and that cuts into his volume, he's not a lead anymore. He won't be able to compete with Usman. He won't be able to beat Kazmat. He won't be able to beat Leon Edwards, Bilal, or anybody as long as he can maintain that pace. But with him being dropped quite often and getting dropped late in the fight that he was dominating against a guy who was dead tired and grossly inaccurate, that's a concern to me. He might be coming over. He might be coming to that point where his chin doesn't absorb as much or recover as quick. And once that happens, he can't throw the volume he throws. And once he can't throw that volume, all those takedowns, all those tie-ups, all those superior striking skills, they're going to be exposed for what they are. So let's talk about Covington real quick before we move on, because there's a lot else to talk about here. I mean, not Covington, excuse me. Mazadal, before we move on, because there's a lot to talk about here. Is he out of the big fight game? Or does he maybe have two or three big money fights? Maybe if they found a way to make a Conor McGregor fight and Nate Diaz rematch. Outside of those two, I don't see too much of an opportunity for him to get these big money fights in the future. But how do you see him maybe getting two or three more of these huge cash cow um, type, type of battles? Well, he, I mean, he has, he has a fan base. He talks a good game to a certain extent. He still has a bit of a reputation, and Kobe didn't knock him out. Kobe didn't submit him. Kobe, I mean, even though Kobe outstruck him with volume, everybody's going to remember Kobe wrestling him. So people are going to say, yeah, he got out-wrestled. He didn't really get beat up. So you can still kind of sell that angle. Um, ultimately, the biggest fight for him, there's two, big, there's two fights that are options for him as far as name fights. A rematch with Nate Diaz, because that was a fairly big fight. I mean, him and Nate have a kind of fan base of whether they're winning or losing because they fight. People are going to kind of support him. So there's a good fight. Um, or with Conor McGregor. And you can still sell that because Conor's coming off of two losses himself. So you could justifiably you could justifiably uh, sell, sell that fight. Two guys coming off of losses. It's kind of close to a winner loses town, leaves town. If Conor loses the mouse at all, well, we got to have a different conversation with Conor. If Masvidal loses to Connor, that's like five losses in a row, and most likely this would be by knockout. So it would be really hard to rehabilitate his image after that point. But Masvidal, McGregor, or Masvidal, Nate Diaz would be two fights you could, if not headline, well, McGregor you headline with, but against Nate you could do a co-headline, probably do a headline because they have a fan base they're going to sell regardless. But he's no longer got enough cachet or he's not hot enough where you could just put him with anybody and it's going to generate sales or generate interest. They kind of got the maximum juice they got, out, they got out of him with the two fights with Usman and this fight with Colby Covington. As far as a viable selling option, he's coming towards the end of his own, of his uh, of his reign. You know, and it was a short reign. He was really hot for about two to three years, and he got the most out of it in two to three years. But um, yeah, he's definitely coming to an end to it, and it's going to be more about fun fights to draw the public's interest more than important fights. I definitely agree. I think he, you were right about that. He did get the most out of his career. Um, he did the best he could with what he had. And, you know, he is where he is today. I, I uh, don't see him getting too many more big, big money fights. Maybe that one with McGregor or something like that down the line. But um, I don't even really see that happening, to be honest with you. For a journeyman, um, he got the one thing he did. He For a journeyman with as many fights as he has in the late career, he he really took advantage. He got the big contract, big paydays, and got one more big contract out of it. That's the way. That's the that's the best case scenario for any fighter who's fought as much as he has and given as much as he has to the sport. 
to make sure that at the end of the day, his last go round is all about. So let's talk about what RDA did to um, Moicano, because that was a drumming for probably about four minutes and 30 seconds or so. Um, RDA definitely showed mercy and allowed him to make it to the final bell. Um, he was looking for the either the, either the corner to stop it or the doctor to stop it. Neither did. And he did what he needed to do, and he pummeled that man from pillar to post. Um, I don't think this win really does a lot for RDA. He's still kind of like in a fluctuating spot that maybe if somebody got hurt last minute, he could find himself in a, in a title picture. But outside of that, I don't see the UFC ever really putting him back into that position. So I don't really want to harp on that too much. But what are your thoughts around this fight should have been stopped? Do you think it should have been stopped? And if so, when? I, I think every time a fight, I have a different perspective on most people. A lot of people will figure... You just let the fight go until they can't defend themselves. To me, the fight needs to be stopped. Once it's been shown, the guy is not actively trying to win. They're trying to survive or they just are unable to get any momentum. And basically, they're either they're surviving because they're, they don't want to try or they're surviving because they're just completely outmatched. I felt it, it became very clear that Moicano was being outmatched. With RDA, the guys who beat him have either been able to punish him and break his ability to pressure, or they've been guys who've been able to meet his pressure head on and basically out-pressure him. Colby Covington eked the decision because he kept working, kept working, kept working. Tony Ferguson beat him by just throwing volume at him and piling it up on him. Um, you know, that's where his losses have come. And, that his, and then when he fought Usman, he was physically manhandled. When he was a welterweight, he had a few quick wins, and then he just started getting bullied and ground down by bigger guys. If you're not able to meet his momentum and his physicality, or punish him physically, you don't really have a way to win. Moicano's difficulty was he's going to be able to maintain the distance, use his land, break him down with a, a range of strikes. Stylistically, on paper, it's a tough matchup. But RDA is very good at pressure footwork. He attacks the body. And once he gets his hands on you, he's one of the strongest guys, either at welterweight or at um, lightweight. Um, the fight just wasn't really competitive. And after it got to, like, maybe the second round, late second round, maybe even early third round. I was just thinking there's no point in continuing to do this. Moicano's not a great submission guy off his back. He's not a great scramble guy. He wasn't able to land his shots, and anything he landed, RDA was walking through, and everything RDA landed was backing him up. Like, yeah, you had him hold out for whatever, but you have to ask yourself, what did that do to him? He's taking a short-notice fight where his body can't possibly be his condition. He's not in the best shape. His body's not conditioned to take the most abuse. So when this halfway ready halfway not condition, he's just taking rounds and rounds of one-sided abuse. And they're they're letting the fight go because they're hoping he can land a Hail Mary, which isn't the kind of fighter he is. He's not a Hail Mary submission guy. He's not a Hail Mary strike guy. He's a methodical, I'm going to outpoint you and out-hustle you and out-position you and punish you kind of guy. He was never able to get that going. So after like the second or third round, it just became repetitive and he's just taking a beating. He can't improve position. He can't escape. He can't offer submissions. He can't stay on his feet. He can't get back to his feet. It's like it's just rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. And all you're doing is chipping away at whatever world-class talent and ability he has left in him. Yeah, definitely. And and it's unfortunate that he took that he took this fight and found himself in his position to take this type of beating. Um, again, it's another one of those situations where 
enough individuals that are in a position to stop the fight don't. And for whatever reason, MMA, like, it's totally different from boxing. If you see someone in boxing that's in trouble, people are so much more inclined to throw in the uh, towel and kind of call it there. What's interesting is a lot of people don't even know that if you throw in a towel in a mixed martial arts bout, that's actually not even recognized. It's not, it doesn't have the same symbolism as it does in a boxing contest, so the ref can completely ignore it if it wanted to. But, I mean, obviously nobody would. But this is a situation where we've seen plenty of times in the past. The pro, the pro, the reason they go farther in MMA is just it, it's simple as this. In boxing, what happens? You're only getting punched. So if somebody's clearly outboxing you or beating the hell out of you, there's only one way you can win after a certain point. You're not going to win a decision. You have to hurt them badly and stop them, or you have to routinely knock them down over and over again. That's a very small chance of that happening. In MMA, you could kick them in the head and knock them out. You could punch them in the head and knock them out. You could elbow them in the head. You could knee them in the head. You could get on top and ground and pound. You could get on top and submit them. You could submit them from your back. You could catch them in transition. Because there's so many ways to win, they're more apt to let the fight go because they're like, maybe he'll get a little lazy and overcommit and you'll reverse. And it's all these situations and circumstances. Instead of watching what the fight's happening, they keep thinking in the best case scenario. Uh, it's like uh, when Darren Elkins, I forgot the fight. He was just getting the hell beat out of him for like almost three rounds. And then he comes back at the last second. Like the guy misses a takedown or he gets a takedown and he just finishes the guy. He won that fight. And it's because of MMA, the many dimensions of MMA. But he was never really the same after it. And the thing about it is Moicano wasn't ever, ever able to get any sort of momentum going at any point in the fight. He's never been that kind of finisher. He's never been a guy who comes from behind and wins fight. How many fights has he come from behind and won? Off, off submissions or knockout wins. I don't think he's ever done that. He's been in competitive fights. He is, he is a heavy front runner. Yeah, he's never been dominated in comeback. We've seen Anderson Silva do it. We've even seen John Jones equin out. We've seen Derek Lewis do it. I've never seen Moicano be dominated in comeback. So I don't know why they thought all of a sudden he'd be able to do it off a short training camp where he wasn't. he's preparing for an opponent that's not RDA and against a matchup on paper, I get why it's favoritism, but once he couldn't keep it on the feet and out position him and counter him, there was only one way this fight was going to go. And after about the third round, I'd have been like, yeah, you're not, maybe you're not getting punished like that, but you're not, you're just surviving. You're not winning anymore. You're not even close to winning. There's no point for us to keep going in this nature. Nothing is going to happen differently. And I'd rather cut the fight too short and keep the fight going because that's round after round after round of a beating. A flash knockout, that's okay. You can recover from that. Three or four rounds of a beating, four or five rounds of a beating, we might, if you see a steep decline in Moicano in the next year or two, this is what you're going to point to. Definitely agree with you on that. Um, the last conversation I want to have about 272, Bryce Mitchell. He dominated Edson Barbosa in a way that we've seen happen in the past because Barbosa is another one who's on the hind side of his um, athletic career. But how much of a threat do you see as uh, do you see Bryce Mitchell as to the featherweight title? Do you think so? He's someone we should really be keeping a close, close, close eye on, or do you think he's really going to struggle with that upper echelon? of the, like, maybe the Calvin Caters, the Max Holloways, or the Alexander Volkanovskis? I don't know that he struggles with the Calvin Caters, because Calvin's not going to be able to grapple with him. Calvin is not going to be able to grapple with um, with Bryce. He might be able to strike with him, 
but since he's not particularly fleet of foot and, and quick or like a stick and move kind of guy, I don't know that he can stay away from him long enough to not get dragged down or clinched up and, and submitted or worn down and eventually overwhelmed. I'm not saying he couldn't do it, but Cater is not a knockout guy. He's an attrition guy. He throws volume and breaks you down. But in breaking someone down and pressuring against a guy who's a very good wrestler and a very good grappler and a guy who likes to hang on to you and suck the energy out of you by putting going body to body, he's not a dynamic finisher. He can be, but he takes you out, he grinds you out, and he punishes you. He makes you carry that weight in all instances. It's it's not a – I don't think it's a favorable matchup for him because I still don't think Cater's recovered from that loss to – Holloway. I don't think at the elite levels, I don't know that he beats a Holloway. Holloway's work rate is still good. Holloway's a competent defensive grappler and he's got length and he's still and he's still got enough of a chin against guys who aren't elite or dynamic. And grit and Bryce isn't really dynamic as a striker, not in speed. He hits hard, but he doesn't hit super hard. His fight against Edson really tells me more about Edson. Edson moved down a weight class. His speed is not as big a factor as it is at the other weights. At lightweight, he's facing guys who are coming in 180, whatever. Now he's facing guys his size. He's still fast, but it used to be this this pitch of white gaps in speed. Now it's like this. It's still an advantage, but it's not as much. He can't get away from guys the way he used to. He can't just land a shot and get pull his kick back, not only because he's getting older, but because the speed gap's been shrunk because he's facing guys his size. Happens to everybody who drops weight. Frankie Edgar, Uriah Faber. They were this way, lightning fast, this way. Now guys are catching them in shots that they usually didn't get catch, caught with. Um, I think it was just a matter more of Barboza being on the back nine and Barboza not being able to be dynamic enough or explosive enough to, to catch Bryce with the right shots. He was still able to hit him here and there, but he couldn't get away from the pressure, and he just got grounded out. I don't know that Bryce can do that against Volkanovski. Too much physicality. Ortega's not afraid to grapple with him, and he's a better athlete if he isn't worn out or potentially shot. Um, Still, at this point, is too much for him. But if he gives it another six months to a year, I think we might have a different conversation. Because I, I don't think Holloway can stay that way that much longer. I'm not sure the Vulcan is going to be a year or two. But definitely in the next year or two, you know, I could see him. I can see Holloway maybe being ready to go. I think Cater's a good matchup for him right now, though. Do you think that um, do you think that Bryce Mitchell has championship potential? As long as Volkanovski is a champion, I don't think so. Um, anybody else? I won't say he's 50-50, but I, I think if the division remains the same and Volkanovski loses or he's injured or on the sideline, I think I think Mitchell has an argument. I, I like to see his striking and his transitions be a little bit better. I don't really believe in his defense against a guy who's not afraid to grapple or wrestle with him. I don't know that his defense holds up at all. But so far, I, I think – He's moving along line. I think if you move him slowly, a lot of these guys are going to age a little bit and either won't be able to make the weight or they're going to lose a step, and that's going to be a shot. But I, I don't see a way he beats Volkanovski. I could see a way he beats Holloway. I could even see a way he beats the Korean Zombie. I could see a way he he beats Ortega. I don't see the world in which he beats um in which he beats um Volkanovski. I, I just can't see it. Interesting there, sir. Interesting thoughts there, sir. I really appreciate that. Let's uh, move on to just some quick comments on Islam Makashev steamrolling Bobby Green. We didn't get to talk about this, but the reason why this is kind of plays into UFC 272 is that Makashev was asked to step in to fight RDA last minute. And they had a, they had a back and forth on Twitter. Makashev has opened up about this situation since where um, RDA said that he would take the fight at 170. Makashev wanted it at 165. It did not happen. 
Dana White claims that since Makachev didn't take the fight, that he's out of the title picture right now, and that they're going to look at re- rebooking the fight against Benil Dariush for Makachev. Now, Makachev has also said that he contacted his manager saying make the fight with RDA and that he only he didn't ask for too much. I'm sure he probably asked for more, more money, which he should have done. But um, he did not take the fight. The fight did not occur for whatever reasons. And now he is out of the title picture. What are your thoughts around that from a good business standpoint? Is that I guess really unfortunate that a he was asked to fight on a week's notice and the fact that he didn't take a fight on a week's notice has had this type of impact on what's next for him. I mean, his business is usually the UFC. If you don't, if you're not a name, you don't get to pass up on people. And to be quite honest, even some of their name people um, have, when a short notice fight has come up, when somebody's fallen out, they've fought to stay on cards. I mean, I hate, as much as people hate Conor McGregor, and they're like, Khabib's so much better, and everybody's so much better, and Conor's a fraud. Conor has come into fights routinely injured. Chad Mendes, injured. Dustin Poirier, injured. Why did he come into those fights? Because he knew the organization was depending on him to sell and go out there. So he put himself at risk. Yeah, he's getting paid a lot. But he put himself at risk for another loss or upending his career. Taking short notice fights with Diaz, short notice fights with Mendes, short notice fights, coming in injured against Poirier. That's just what the UFC wants of their guys. They want them to take risks. And to push forward that idea that we're not businessmen, we're warriors. I'm willing to fight anybody at any any time. So I don't think it's good that they did this to him, but I understand why they do it because it's how they do business. If you're not willing to do the UFC a solid, Dana White's petty is very long and it's very strong. But if you look from a if you look from a strictly opposition point of view, Makachev has not really beaten anybody that says he deserves a title fight. I know, I know the, the records are always iffy, but let, let's just be honest. He hasn't beaten anybody that says he should be demanded a, a title fight. The reason he's getting one is because he has so many wins in a row and they're so dominating. It's the manner he's winning, not the people he's beating, because he hasn't beaten anybody of any particular note. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying this is a Conor fan. Conor may have lost his fights, but Conor lost to the best lightweight and the second best lightweight twice, or, or the third best lightweight twice. And yeah, Michael Charles has been winning, but who has he been winning against? Who is he beating? He's not beating elite guys. He's not competing against elite guys. I expect him to crush guys of that caliber. He's just put so many wins together, and he's done it so dominantly that they've moved him up the rankings. He's kind of cowboy. He's like doing the uh, what the Russian version of the of Cowboy Cerrone. He's beaten so many people in so spectacular a fashion that people think he's elite. We don't know because he hasn't beaten anybody anywhere near elite. We won't know until he gets to the title fight, much like his good friend Khabib. We had no idea what Khabib could really do until he got the title, because that's when he first started facing real tough competition. Same with Makhachov. So he, he didn't take the deal. He didn't show up for whatever reason. Maybe his, his manager was trying to get more money out or trying to position him a certain way. Either way, he didn't get the fight, and now he's going to have to do it the hard way. And I don't have a problem with it, because at least if he beats Dariush, I'll have him be an type guy. And I can at least make the argument now, after so many fights in a row, beating a top 10 to 15 guy and then beating a top 10 guy, well, now it makes sense you get the title fight. And if he loses, well, it's your fault, man. You fought the, the best guy you fought beat you. So obviously you weren't as good as you thought you were. 
Yeah, um, his manager is Ali Abdelaziz, so I don't think he probably asked the UFC for much. We know he works harder for the UFC than he does for his fighters, but I would be interested in, in seeing what that situation really kind of played out to. Um, UFC Vegas 50, that's this weekend. I was looking at this card, and this card has some has some more interesting fights than I thought it would. It's, it's a little bit better than some of the past UFC Vegas fights that we've had this past um, past few months or in 2020 itself. Uh, Thiago Santos versus Magomed Ankalov is the main event, so I don't want to disrespect that, but other stuff on the card stood out to me. What do you think about that main event real quick and just a couple of thoughts? The main, the biggest question is this: you have a, a guy who's moving up, who's coming, who's got a win streak, looks like the next big physical unstoppable force in the division, and you have Santos, who at one point was considered the future of the division. It's really going to be a matter of how much does Santos have left, and can he return to glory? He had those huge injuries after the John Jones fight, the fight that really put him on the map, is possibly being elite, and since then he's been injured. And then he came back, and he hasn't looked anywhere near as dynamic. He hasn't looked anywhere near as dominant. So this is going to be a chance for him to reassert himself and show that he can still be that guy. Um, I'm not sure he can. Those, I think those injuries may have robbed him. And it magnum, mag, is, how do you say his name again? Mag, Magomed Ankaleyev. Magomed Ankaleyev. He's on a streak. He's looked damn near unstoppable. I think they really would like him to win this fight. I think this is a showcase fight for him against a guy who's still dangerous, but not nearly as dangerous as he used to be. Santos, still a big hitter. He's still pretty tough, but he's never been a great technician. And without his without his athleticism being elite, he's lost a step, maybe a step and a half. He's no longer as dangerous as he needs to be. So if he wins the fight, we have him reestablished as a legitimate threat in the division. If he loses, then... We have a new star who's beating a fairly high-ranked, fairly well-known fighter, and we can get ready to start putting him in position to potentially challenge the winner of Jerry Glover. Yeah, I can definitely go with that. Um, I do think Magomed is going to pick up a victory here as well, too. And Santos is another one who is on the downswing of his career. I mean, we saw that against Glover Teixeira as well, too. Um, Marlon Morales versus Song Yudong. This is going to be an interesting fight to me because I wonder if how much damage has Yudong taken and how far has Marlon fall, fallen since his early run in the um, UFC where we thought he was basically a champion to be crowned. Um, I'm really interested in, in this fight. I didn't do that. Uh, say it again? I said, I didn't think that. I was like, this I dude's mean, a fraud. I've been him a fraud for five years. After he punted... Um, Aljamain Sterling's face across the cage, and then he finished Jimmy Rivera, whatever order that was in. People were basically ready to crown him the uh, the, the champion, and he had that for good first round against Henry Cejudo. Then the wheels just, I mean, saying the wheels fall off wasn't even enough of a statement for how that fight went. But we've seen they, his- they, for years his people in his camp who knew him were coming for me. They DM me because they were like, you don't know what you're talking about. I was like, he is a front-running fraud. Remember before they had that Cejudo fight? I know, I know people who work in management with Cejudo. They know his coach. I told them, this, Cejudo's going to win this fight. As soon as Marius can't knock him out, he's going to gas, and Cejudo's going to beat the living hell out of him. And the guy was like, now it's going to go all five. No, no, it's not going all five. Marlon's a front runner. He can pitch. He cannot catch. And that has been exposed. Once guys started hitting him in the face, he started falling down a whole lot. 
this is this fight, this fight. falling down a whole lot and falling down fast as well too. So this fight is um, kind of like the Santos fight in that you had a guy who was a dynamic athlete who looked like he was the future of the division, and and it's just kind of falling apart. Went to win bad and never really recovered. This to me is a showcase fight for Song. The question is, can he get to Morais without catching something that's going to put him away? Because he he doesn't really believe in defense. He's more of an attribute fighter who loads up and lands big counters and lands big shots and big takedowns to win him fights. It's a big spot offense. So the question is, can he keep it up to not get iced by Morais? But if he if his chin is solid and he, he can fight with some kind of intelligence, it's almost a guarantee he beats Marlon. They're trying to get him to the next level. They're using Marlon as that stepping stone. Do you think that Song Yudong has that next level? Is he a title challenger in your eyes? I don't think he's busy enough. I think he hits hard enough. I think his wrestling is good enough in spots, but he's not. If you watch his fights, it's always these big, huge moments. And defensively, I just don't see it. Man. That, like, There's too many guys like Corey Sanhagen would probably crack him in the face. Repeatedly. Jan would crack him. If you find Jose Aldo, Jose Aldo might kill that man. Um, Aljamain Sterling could be knocked out by him, but the fact of the matter is Aljamain Sterling can can keep a pace. I've seen I've seen Yudong be outworked before, and he loads up on those big shots and he gasses, and guys can outwork him. Um, he's kind of a front runner himself. He's just a tough one. He can take a level, enough abuse. So do I think he's elite? Not in his skill set. His physical tools, yes. He, he's got a good strategy, yes. But as far as like his skill set, it's not good enough. And against the elite guys. The Dillashaws, the Sanhagens, the Sterlings, the Yans, the Aldos, he has too many holes. He, he makes too many mistakes, and they will punish each and every single one of them. Yeah, I can definitely see that going down. And another fight that really stands out to me is uh, Sadiq Youssef fight, fighting Alex Caceres. Um, yeah, man, that is a fight I'm really interested in because Caceres is someone who will not go away. He's been, after the Osmond fighter, he's been in the UFC for so long. He's on, like I think, like a four-fight win streak right yep. now. And Yusef is one of those guys who they're trying to push him into the upper echelon as well, too. He hasn't quite made it yet. This is an interesting fight for me because um, Caceres isn't too far off from maybe being able to demand a title shot or at least a title eliminator. How do you see this fight going? Uh, Caceres, to me, he's had a lot of fights. He's had, he's kind of like a, a version of Jorge Masvidal. If you look at it, a lot of his fights he's lost has been guys who pressured him and really outworked him. And what's helped him now is he's got such a, he's got a solid, he's got a broad range of skills. He can wrestle, he can strike. He's good defensively. He's good on the counter, on the feet, on the ground. He's not elite, but he's got enough experience. Because he's had a lot, a lot of fights. Most guys coming in don't have as many fights as he has against top-level opposition. So his, his his point of experience is just so good. There's not many things he hasn't seen. He's been losing fights. He's had to come back. He's dominated fights. He's had fights be even and had to figure out a way to win. He's been in almost every circumstance. So a lot of these younger guys or the younger guys don't have the experience to figure him out when they can't just bowl him over or they don't have clear they don't have a clear avenue they can just attack him at. And he doesn't have really a big hole, big enough hole in his skill set where you can just know that if you're not elite, you can dominate him in wrestling. You have to be pretty good in wrestling to dominate him. You have to be a very good grappler to just submit him. You have to be a very competent and very busy striker to just outwork him. My question once again comes that versus a certain caliber of opponent, he always seems to find a way to lose. He hasn't beaten a lot of elite names on his list. He's beat a lot of third-tier guys, second-tier guys, high second-tier guys, 
when he gets around that first tier or guys who have that first tier ability, he tends to not do enough to win. He tends to get out work and often either just out hustled or just finished. Um, his opponent seems to be the good as far as the athleticism. His opponent seems to be as good as far as the durability and a good skill set. I don't know if he has the experience, but I, I feel like this is the kind of guy that Caceres always finds some way to lose against. If he wins and he breaks through, um, it's still not an elite guy, but it's five wins in a row, and so you got to start talking about him as a potential, at least a fringe contender. But the only thing that concerns me is he's faced inexperienced guys who were just physical and aggressive and didn't take no for an answer. And when he's faced those kind of guys, he has tended to, he's tended to lose. So I don't know that I have a lot of faith that he's going to find a way to win um, in this fight. He's Like I said, he's like Jorge Masvidal. He's had a couple different acts in the UFC. He came in and was struggled, kind of got on the win streak, got close to contendership, went on another losing streak. Now he's on the third, his third act. And usually this is around the time you start seeing the, the retardation and athleticism and durability and timing. And I think he's been fighting a lower level of guys so you don't notice it. But once he starts facing a better level athlete and a better level fighter, I think you'll start seeing those gaps in his, his own athleticism and his own skill. And that's where you're going to start. That's where you're going to start seeing the losses as he, move, as he moves up, if he gets past this guy. And I'm not completely convinced he does. Yeah, I'm interested in seeing what this looks like um, and if he can pull out a victory here, because it'll be telling a lot about Caceres. Same thing with uh, Sodik as well, too. I think he's ready to get that uh, that push, I think, that they've been trying to give him, especially as a big knockout. They're, they're, giving, they're giving him a winnable fight. Sorry, my part. They're giving him a, a guy who's dangerous and skilled and experienced. But a guy who's very who who has a trend of being out hustled, outworked, and somewhat manhandled or bullied by a certain caliber of athlete with a certain kind of aggression. That's who he's facing, and he's tended to fold in this situation. So if he loses, and Caceres wins, you lo- it's your veteran loss. You learned your lesson, yada yada yada. If he wins, it shows that you've you're ready to take that next step. Because Caceres is not elite. He hasn't been beating elite guys. He's been beating up on guys a step and a half behind him. So this is really the first time he's going to face somebody of maybe a certain style and a certain athleticism. So, But I think it's a showcase fight. I think it's a showcase fight. And they're figuring if Caceres wins, cool. But most likely we think he'll lose in a competitive fight. And now we'll have a brand new name in the division that we can get behind and push. Very true there, sir. Um, let's hit our last three topics for today. Let's start with the first one. Um, Michael Chandler versus uh, Tony Ferguson is an announced fight. I think UFC 274, I think, is the number I saw it being promoted for. What are your thoughts about that? Just a quick, quick uh, bit. I would rather see Conor McGregor versus one or the other. Um, they are desperately trying to get Michael Chandler a fight, a win. They are desperately trying to get him a win. And uh, if you beat Tony Ferguson, it tells me nothing. But if he loses to Tony Ferguson, he should probably quit the sport. Pretty quick and dirty there, too. I can agree with that. Um, Michael Chandler. I Black think, History Month's over. I got to be real. Black History he, Month's over. <laughs> he's coming to the UFC to, to make that money, and hopefully he's making – I think he is. Hopefully he's making that um, money because um, this is this will be an interesting fight, and it will tell us a lot, win, lose, or draw how, with how he looks. Um, Kayla Harrison, she's staying where she is. She uh, was um, looking to either move into the UFC or – Bellator, both organizations made a play for her. The Bellator contract offer was better. PFL had the opportunity to match, and they matched. 
So that's where she was staying. Um, she didn't seem too happy with the news, but she's gonna be making her um, she's gonna be making her money. So what do you think? Her staying there. She is happy with the news. She can do the front. Well, I want to fight the best. No, you don't. If it's that serious for you to fight the best, hell, even Floyd Mayweather took a pay cut and let the uh, the guy be the A side so he could get the fight he wanted. Yeah, it's different organizations, but the fact is her contract was up. If she really was about that, she could have forced her way out. She doesn't want to force her way out. She wants to get, and I, I have no animosity against her because as a combat sports star, you have a limited amount of time. Everybody's complaining about money. Make as much money as you can. But this whole dog and pony show that I want to fight the best and I'm here to fight the best, that's never been the truth because she could have went somewhere else taking less money. Dana White would have taken her on a discount and she could have fought and she could have fought the best. But she said, I want to make sure I'm good. I want to make sure I get highlighted and promoted. I want to make sure I get paid. That's what she went for. She went to get highlighted and promoted and paid. If she wanted to fight tougher competition, she could have went to Bellator in the first place. She could have went to she could have went to UFC in the first place. Or better yet, when Chris Cyborg left Bell- left UFC, she could have told them, hey, you need to make whatever offer you need to make to get her in here. If it's just for one fight, a super fight with me, tell her you're paying $5 million. Tell her you're paying $7 million. Tell her you're paying whatever you want. She wants to come in here and fight me. But I don't think she made those those overtures. I'm not mad at her. I don't lose respect for her. She's a combat sports. She fights, so I have to respect that. But the fact of the matter is, she talks like she's an elite fighter. She has not beaten a fighter who's even halfway decent. She has not faced any adversity in the fight. And if she wanted to face adversity, she knows which organization she needs to go to. The worst fighter in the UFC in the featherweight division is better than the best person she's been facing in her in, in PFL. In fact, the biggest threat to her in the PFL now is a girl who got Molly Wap, former Bellator champion Julia Budd, who got beat the hell up by Cyborg. That's going to be the best opponent if she faces her. That would be the best opponent she has faced in the history of her career. She's faced nobody, and she's okay with that because she made the decision to go for the money. I respect it. Just stop lying to me. Well, I don't think you're 100% right there because, remember, we've seen this before. We saw this with um, Eddie Alvarez and Bellator was almost a decade ago at this point, and he had to take him to court, lost, and ended up having to stay in Bellator when they made that um, when they when they matched him when UFC offered him the first time around. So it's just it's, you can either you have the option of sitting out, which she didn't want to do, or you have the option of taking him to court, which she didn't want to do, or you have the option of, of fighting out the contract. So it's kind, it's kind of different. It's kind of different, but the men's light the men's lightweight division that division is almost elite from top to bottom the number 25 guy can beat the number 10 guy she's fighting women who are a fighting out of their weight class and just aren't that good no you're like, right about that but i'm talking about the part about where she could have gotten out of the contract she could like i'm talking about from the from the get-go from the get-go if she was really about facing the best she could have went to ufc she just had to take a hell of a pay cut it would have been dumb i wouldn't have respected it i would have thought it was dumb but if you really wanted that there's a path to do it. Hey, Dana, I'll take whatever you offer me. You want to give me 4000 to 4000 I want the best. Give me the best, Dana. 4000 to 4000 I'll fight for 8000 if I win. That's what I get. 4000 to show, 4000 win. That's what I want, Dana. It'd be dumb, but if she wanted the best. There's people, I know fighters who turn down three times the pay the UFC was offering because they wanted to fight the best. I think they're idiots, but they said they wanted the best, and they were going to do whatever it took to get the best. She was not going to do that. She wanted a payday. That's why she won PFL. Bellator would have taken her on the cheap. UFC would have taken her on the cheap. 
but she didn't want to be cheap. She wanted to be paid. I, that's fine. I respect that. But when you made that decision early on, you set a bar that almost nobody's going to match. UFC's not going to match that salary. She's lucky Bellator matched it. And really all Bellator did was raise up the price that PFL had to pay her more. And Bellator isn't going to go any higher. Bellator is not willing to commit that kind of money. So she is stuck. And the minute she signed for a contract making that kind of money, she should have known she's stuck for life. Period. Period. She signed that. She knew that was going to happen. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of people. I, I think people are surprised that PFL offered the match um, because there was, I mean, hell, Bellator was talking about having her fight um, Cyborg next month. So I think that a lot of people are, are really surprised that that PFL match, but they had the right to, and that's where she'll be staying. So she'll be a multiple-time champion um, once again. She's the biggest star they got. They got all this free publicity that the UFC was thinking about her, that Bellator was thinking about her. She's the biggest star they have, and she's the most bankable star because nobody can beat her. <laughs> so yeah, you're right. She you know she's gonna win. This is like pro. This is almost pro wrestling. Like we're setting the fight. What's gonna happen? She's gonna grab her, throw down, submit her. It's almost scripted. I know it's not, but it's however fight's gone from beginning to the end. Um, so the last news story I want to talk about was Kenny Velasquez, where we all know he's in trouble for, not in trouble, he's in jail for yeah. um, a, a, attempted murder uh, without bail. He will be held without bail until his trial comes around. And this is a sad story for a lot of reasons, obviously because he was um, taking the law into his own hands uh, because of his family member was allegedly being molested by the man he was shooting at, missed him, shot his father-in-law by accident, he survived, or his, the, the, he, he shot the person's stepfather, excuse me, um, but that person survived. But this is a tragic story because it's one of those situations where it's like you see something like this happening and if it was my daughter, I don't have any kids, but obviously I would probably take the law into my own hands as well too. Most people would, um, but it's unfortunate that he did and now he's in a situation where he has to face the consequences for it. And it's, and it's interesting watching so many people um, support him. I don't know if you saw, but GoFundMe pulled down all of the um, charity that was raised to support his legal funds uh, because they, they it's not you're not allowed to raise money for people who are fighting against such legal crimes there. So they pulled down all of the money that that was raised for him. So it's a very interesting uh, situation. It's a sad story to watch. And it's, um, yeah, it's really sad to watch. Uh, it's weird. I know he's been retired for a long time, but he was considered one of the bigger stars. I mean, like Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. has been really inactive in boxing. If he was going to jail for something similar, he wouldn't need a GoFundMe because he'd have, just of his own money, he'd have, tens of millions of dollars to spend towards it. I can't imagine like, GoFundMe to pay for his legal issues. Like, I don't think he needed it. I think people just did it. He might. He might need it. I don't know. You're right. You're right there. But I don't think that would ever that would, I mean, let's say Floyd was in the same situation. Are you holding a GoFundMe for Floyd? No. Why not? Making rich. Because um, he, he can sell one of those nightclubs he owns and be fine. Yeah. I mean, he just has all the money. It's fine. But ultimately, as a parent, you know, I, I just had this conversation recently. Uh, I was talking to my, I was talking to my daughter's mom. We, we had a big conversation about this. We, we were talking about how people always say, if somebody did this to my kid, I would kill him. I would do this. I would do that. We would, you know, but you see situations like the R. Kelly thing. 
parents took payoffs because they didn't think they'd be able to get to the person and they didn't want to ruin their kid's life for one. Um, you have other situations where uh, you have other situations where people do stuff like this and they do lash out and they kill somebody or beat somebody else up. But the fact of the matter is, if you go to prison, now your family doesn't have anybody to protect them. If you go to prison, I don't, I don't know what his financial situation is. I don't know if he can afford a major court case. Those things tend to be expensive. I don't know what his financial situation is. Maybe his family doesn't have a certain kind of money. We, we don't know. But now, since he's there, I mean, he's got, he's got family and everything, but his family may have lost their, their you know, son, husband, you know, father, all that kind of stuff. And, and the fact of the matter is, we don't know how this is going to end. Now, if it ends, all ends well and he gets out, you know, then I guess ultimately then we all feel he's right and he, he got up, got off in the right, things fell the right way for the right person. But what if he doesn't? What if he has to spend two years in jail? What if he spends three years in jail? What if they can't legitimately prove that this actually happened? Maybe he knows it, but they can't prove it. Now what do we do? You know, he might have to do two to five years in jail. He might have to do three to five years in jail. I think he's facing ten. I think yeah. I, I think that's what he's facing. What, I, what I've seen, but uh, it's an it's an unfortunate story, and um, it's just. I mean, it. I understand why he did it. I'm a father. I get it. But I'm like, when you do something like that, I you almost have to have everything set up because you know you might be gone for ten years, and your kids gonna lose ten years of their time, and that's another traumatic issue. I don't know what's right, and I don't know what's wrong. I feel like he did what he had to do, and as a parent, you do what you got to do. But there's another side of this. And if he ends up going to jail for 10 years, I mean, that's just that's just a real tough situation. It's a tough situation to put yourself in, a tough situation for your children to deal with. And that's that's it. And they still might not be able to prove that guy did it. You know he did it, but we we can't prove that. And if we can't prove that, then you're 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 really in a bad spot. If you can prove it, maybe it's different. But what if they can't? What if they really can't prove it? Yeah, it's definitely an unfortunate um, situation. So that's all we have for today, man. Why don't you let everybody know what you're working on? Uh, usually I'm just working on some different articles on some uh, fighters. I still have uh, the article I turned in about uh, how Carolina Kovacavich's career kind of went off the deep end um, and why it went off. Um, I'm, always working, I'm always working on little articles. I'm just trying to find interesting angles. The, the hard part is a lot of the articles kind of move in the same direction so i'm trying to find different takes on articles to kind of give fans or fans of the sport or fans of a fighter a different perspective on said fighter or said sport and it gets it gets harder because you know mma is just it's like a sports entertainment they keep mixing the entertainment with the sport and it makes it very hard to represent it or to discuss it because some of the things they do do not make one bit of sense that's very true there, sir. Um, I'll be covering as much progressing as possible, working the fights this weekend as usual, and we'll be back here next week. Um, just another day, another dollar for me right now. So thank you, everyone, for taking the time to check us out. Be sure to look us up across all of our platforms. We're here for MMA Ratings, the podcast episode 234. We'll be back for 235 next week. Everyone have a great night. Have a great night.